sold out to follow Jesus. Three amens on that. I said it's good to see the next generation, some of them getting sold out to follow Jesus. Amen. As we get ready to go on our praise and worship time, remember we got to lift up a shout. This is our time to invoke God's presence and His throne into our situation. The Bible says, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. I mean, these guys are extremists. They give us some of the most extreme conditions and say, but we're not going to be afraid. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians, because to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know what that means? It means the game's been fixed. We can't lose. To live as Christ, to die as gain, you can't lose. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're following Him, He says, Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, the, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. Amen. Living water. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. If God is for us, who can be against us? The holy place. God is in our midst. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You've heard me share, some of you heard me say this. God sometimes called Him Jacob and sometimes He called Him Israel. And even after... He gave him that new name. He still would refer to him as Jacob at times. And I didn't know how, why God did that for years. And I finally come across the stuff that let me understand that. What God's trying to say to us, He's with us in our worst times just as good as He is in our best times. Sometimes we act like a prince, don't we? Somebody's spouse is shaking their head saying no. And sometimes we act like a deceiver and a conniver, don't we? We get, we get eros. We make life about us, don't we? And so God loves us through all that. Amen. We have a God that's just as much a God with Jacob as He is with Israel. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Just tell Him how much you love Him right now out of your own words. Just speak to Him. Got behind that veil this morning. Just tell him who he is to you just right now. Lord, we lift our voices to you and say that you are our God, you are our King, you're our miracle worker, you're our healer and our deliverer, you are our buckler and our shield. This is your time. We're here to extol you and brag on you, Lord. Not bring any attention to ourselves, but just talk about how good you are. You are our great God. You're a great king, and we worship you this morning. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord some praise. He's worthy. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. We have nursery over there as well. The rest of you may be seated.
you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. I'll read a few verses to you this morning. Talk to you about something you may have not heard about before, or at least haven't thought much about. Um, a couple of things brought to my attention. One was the prophecy that we got in September the 26th of 2020 this morning. And one of the things God said to us, September the 26th, out of those seven prophecies we got over about 18 months span there, or maybe, well, actually an eight-month span, uh, they've been so real to what we've seen God unfold. But this particular one, uh, the Lord said in here, He said that He was going to make a clear distinction between His people and the world. That was one of the prophecies that we got along with this one here that said, God is going to shake the world and the protection will remain for those who trust in the Lord but will evaporate from those who trust in themselves and this world system. And we are a testimony to that. We've seen the other prophecy we got was God was going to make a clear distinction between His people and the world. And we're seeing that happen. We're, we're, getting, we're going to have to get in with everything we've got. We are followers of the Lord, and we don't trust in this world system or our own stuff. We trust in the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. In 1 Timothy, and that's going to bring us to uh, some things we sang this morning. I liked how we <clears throat> saw the difference again this morning between the praise and then talking to Him, not talking about Him. That's what shifts when you go behind that veil. You talk directly to the Lord, and I heard a lot of that in our worship time there on that last song. You were speaking directly to the Lord. So the goal is to get behind the veil when we praise and worship. But I'm going to step aside from that this morning for a moment. Let's go to 1 Timothy. Uh, I've told you that already, right? 1 Timothy. I'll get over there with you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. And let's look at a few things that I think we need to hear in these last days we're living in. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now, goodness, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, you're not going to hear that anywhere but out of the Scripture. Because the world has so many other ideas for that. But the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. How would we identify godliness would be following the teachings of the Lord. That's what brings us into godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that is the total opposite. That's one of those paradoxes, right? When you see something in the Scripture, uh, a lot of times they are a paradox. And a paradox is it means something just opposite the way we think, right? Jesus said, if you really want to live, you've got to do what? Well, that sounds contrary to common sense, right? I mean, if you really want to live, you've got to die. But that's a paradox, right? If you want to receive, you must give, right? going to be a receiver. Those are paradoxes. They work against the normal thinking of a human. And there's a problem with that. And that's what happens to us Westerners because a lot of us follow the Greek way of thinking. We are highly educated people in our own minds. <clears throat> uh, the Jews had a different way to think. And I'm going to bring that out this morning. But we are Westerners and we're Gentiles and we if we're not careful, we'll put all of our faith and confidence in education. And we've done that here in this country, right? And that's why we've gotten the shape we're in. 
because we've, we've made education a God, and education is not a God. It's a means to an end, like everything else. But God's education, knowing His Word, is what brings life, right? Not secular education. That may be a part of your journey. It was a part of my journey. But that's uh, education, secular education, I guess I should put here, is not a God. I'll put a little g. It's not even a little God. So the Greeks and most of us were trained and we think with linear logic or thinking. The Jews think with block logic. That's how they were trained, by the Lord. And that messes with us because if you're a linear thinker, and most of us are trained that way, we have an expectation that what's coming next will automatically tie into what I've seen before. And it will be the next step in the process. So that's where we get in God's way, and that's what messes up, messes with our faith because we try to be, use logic with God. And that don't always work. And I'm going to show you some examples of that. The paradox, right? Here's what the Bible says contentment's about. Or here's what the Bible says great gain is from, godliness and contentment. Now you can see in our world, and we all wrestle with it, because the next linear step, right, is I drove a Yugo, so the next thing I'm getting is a Chevette. Then the next thing I'm getting is a Cavalier. And then the next thing I'm getting is a Cadillac. We have these linear thinking in our mind, and so everything must be a graduation from where we're at before. It comes back to education. We should all be graduating to bigger and better things, right? That's the logical process. And that's how the world system's set up. And it works against Scripture a lot of times because God does things that makes our brains mad. Right? What do you think about Gideon? Jerubbabel, whose name was also Gideon. What do you think about him? You think about God, he's already at a great disadvantage, 20-some thousand versus 100-plus thousand on the other side. And by the time God whittles him down to who God's going to say, you can take these guys with you, he's got 300 of them. Now that is not good thinking. Right? That looks bad, right? And we see a lot of that. In fact, he told Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, once you buy this property, get these deeds in chapter 32, bury these deeds here in the ground because we're coming back. There's going to be houses built here. He did that in a box because Israel was getting ready to get blasted off the map. Now, if you're a linear thinker, you won't do that. If you're a linear thinker, you won't spend 100 plus years working on a boat when it's never rained before. Because you're looking for the logical process, right? You're, and that's how we're all trained to think linear. Now, I've used this, and I, I can't find the word. I lost the word, but you all have heard me say it a lot. The, there's a Hebrew word that says God's already been around the corner before you get to the corner. Our problem is when God tells us to get to the corner, we want to know what's around the corner. That's not our responsibility. If God says, get to the corner, we don't ask what's around the corner. We get our tails to the corner. That's how we're supposed to be with God. Because we know He has our best interests in mind. We know He has, he has all knowledge, all seeing, all knowing. So if God says, get up here to the corner, then we get ourselves to the corner in a box. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't care what's around the corner. 
because our God told us to get to the corner. That's faith. And you can see how this linear thinking has interrupted block logic. That God sometimes just gives us a word for the moment, and He don't fill in all the blanks. Now, have you ever got a partial word from God? I have. God spoke to me something, and He didn't fill in all the blanks until later. You know where I've gotten trouble? Trying to fill in the blanks myself. Because I'm a Westerner. Okay, God said, get this, and that He must want me to do That's your brain talking, not the Holy Spirit. And some of us are way too high on our brains because they interfere with the Holy Spirit sometimes. And so the, the linear thinking has caused us trouble when we come to the Scripture. And you see somebody that gets a word from God and just moves on it. Just like Abraham. God said, take your son up and sacrifice him. Okay. Okay. We would have had a thousand million questions if it had been us, wouldn't we? Why, where, when, and what for? But block logic is rooted in trust. It's rooted in trust. And we don't trust things we've not seen before. Our trust is based on God's track record with us already. We've seen enough out of Him. In fact, He rebuked His boys. They got on the ship, got ready to cross over. They hit a storm. They all freaked out. And Jesus come on the boat and said, Listen, I understand weather's rough on anybody. You know, I, I understand where you're coming from, boys. He didn't say that. He said, You just watched me feed the multitudes. And you're afraid of this storm. With one dinner. God is holding us accountable for the things He's done in our lives in the past. That's what creates trust today. Trust that says, I don't know what's around the corner, but you said you get to the corner, so I'm going to the corner. That's trust. And I think God should have some people in His kingdom that He can trust. I think God should have some people that are faithful. He sent His Son to hang on the cross. I think God should have some people that are faithful with everything in their lives, from their checkbook to their worship to their praise to everything. You mean to tell me God gave us everything and we can't be faithful? But that's where a lot of the church world has fallen. They've fallen into traps with the world. Because now we fit God into our way of thinking. We fit Him into our schedules. We don't break out and say, Hey, you're first. You're first in everything. Everything in our lives. That comes from trust. So now when God calls us and asks us to get to the corner, if we've not established that trust based on His track record, we may not go to the corner. Because we're afraid of what might be on the other side of the corner. But your God and my God has already been there. So godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a paradox. But it's rooted in block logic and trust. What do you say to a guy? The Lord comes by and says, I want you to build an ark big as a football field. One door, one window. And you're going to take two 
of all the clean an, or seven of all the clean animals and two of every animal is going to get on the ark with you and your family. Now, can you imagine Noah trying to figure all that out? Can you imagine how he was trying to reconcile how in the world am I going to round up two of every animal and seven of some of them? How in the world are we going to build a boat that large that will even float? But see, God was specific. He gives us specific. That's why I said another problem with the church is we got this Western Greek logic trying to work, and the other one is we're freelancers. There's plenty of instruction in this Bible for every facet of our lives. Whether it's business, how to treat your spouse, how to raise your children, how to have business dealings, all of that. It's all in here. How to praise, how to pray. The word, everything starts with the Word of God. You, you don't even know how to pray correctly if you don't get in the Word of God. It teaches us everything. And so God is a God of order. But His order is not always seen in our linear logic. And so God's got a plan and a purpose that's far above what we can even think or imagine, Paul said. We just got to deal with the moment when He speaks and calls us. He said, We brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Now God made people rich all through the Bible. What's the problem here? The desire of it. Because that desire will start replacing other things that are important. I know people, situations, that the father or somebody went after the riches and the whole family suffered for it. God makes people rich. He's not opposed to doing that. We see plenty of people in the Bible that He blesses, makes them wealthy, and some of them were rich. But it's the pursuit of that rather than pursuing God. And, and God may, that may be His lot for your life. He may make you rich. But you need to pursue Him and let all these other things be brought unto you. And we'll see that in just a moment. And He says, those that desire it to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So he said there's people that were in the path that got out of the path because they wound up pursuing that, the desire to be rich. That became their goal. I knew a guy who sacrificed everything to be wealthy and to retire in the spot he wanted to retire in. He never saw his children play ball. He was gone for years, come home occasionally. He missed every family function for the most part. And when he came home, he died three months later. Sacrificed everything for wealth. Missed everything. And he lived three months after he retired. Sounds like something you read in the Bible, right? I'll build bigger barns. Store my stuff up. And he said, hey fool, your soul's going to be required tonight. Then who will those things be? So he said, you didn't bring nothing in the world, you're not taking nothing out. Guess what? Your grandchildren are going to spend it like crazy when you leave. You're not taking it with you. 
That's what I saw. Shirt said, I'm spending my grandchildren's inheritance. <laughs> Let's go to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, he talks about contentment again. You cannot live with contentment if you keep the Western thinking going on. That's why you're going to have to understand just a little bit block logic, which I call faith logic. In Luke chapter 12, let's look at verse uh, 13. Again, <clears throat> he talks about money. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, talking to Jesus in Luke 12 and 13, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> he said to him, this is kind of unusual to hear this said this way with Jesus. It said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter, arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. And that comes from the linear thinking, right? Automatically I ought to move up every step of the way, right? He says, take heed of, uh, beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. I had another guy. This is opposite of what I told you just a moment. In another story, a friend of mine who got moved out of a situation, somebody in the family swooped in and he left out. And I said, how do you feel about that? He said, well, he said, if I have to depend on somebody dead taking care of me, I'm not far from going under anyway. He had a different attitude, but he was a believer. He trusted the Lord, and he wouldn't let that get in on him and cause him to be bitter. And he said, he gives us some examples here. He says, a man's life does not consist in the bunch of things he possesses. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he, he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store up my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. I will build greater. There I will store all my crops and my goods. I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and whose all those things be which you have provided? So it is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Now this springs off of what we pursue, the desire, right? And all of us are going to battle this at stages in our life, what's more important to us? I used to mow grass when I first started preaching because I didn't make much money. My wife was staying home at the time, so I mowed grass in the summer to make ends meet. Because as I told you, the church, first church I took grew from, 12, or from 26 to 12 the first week. Not everybody was happy. But I, I mowed grass for a coal guy, and he owned coal mines. And he was, some of the grass we mowed was for him. And, and uh, he was a very modest guy. He lived modestly. He didn't have to. Some of his brothers didn't, but he did. And uh, he was retired. He was in his 70s, and he opened up another business. And I'll never forget this. I said, Cecil, why in the world did you open up another business? <clears throat> he said, well, when you get to where I'm at in life, he said, there's only so many things you can have. And he said, I wanted to provide jobs for people that needed jobs. He said, I don't want nothing else. I don't need... He was very modest anyway. Different, whole different approach. He was worth millions, but it's a whole different approach, right? 
that he wanted to do. He didn't want to build bigger barns. He wanted to help others. So it's all our approach. It's not wrong to be rich. I don't, I don't know. God's not ruled that out for me. I know I've got nothing in the mail that said he wasn't going to make me rich. I, it may happen. That's not the problem. It's, it's our hearts, what it's fixed on. Do you hear what he said? He said, uh, he said uh, this is how somebody is who lays up treasures for himself. Now, what is that? That's the hook, isn't it? Have you ever give till it hurt? Like the widow woman? Or have you just given out of your abundance? Have you given that moment when you thought, I don't know if I can afford to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or have you laid up everything for yourself? That's the problem with this guy. I've given you several examples, modern examples of people. Some did it wrong, some did it right. But the whole purpose is what our hearts set on. He said, don't put your affection on things down here, but on things above. And so then he goes on to say, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. I am really been working on this for about 10 years, trying to live in the day, in the moment, and not get caught up in what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm still working on that, but I've been working on it for years. It takes time because we're all bombarded with linear thinking. What comes next? What comes next? I should have. I should get. I should be there. I should be over there. I should be up here. I should be up to that. That's our logic thinking. But God may pull you out and stick you in a moment that you never even dreamed of. What do you think happened to Job? Job, if he'd have used his logic, he would have turned his back on God. Or he'd have beat himself up so bad he never would have followed God anymore if he'd have used his uh, logic. But he, he, he did, he, God came in a moment and he lost everything. Then God came back around and you know the end of that story. So our moments can be different than what we think if we are open to the Holy Spirit. If we will let Him put us in situations, if we will obey Him without knowing the end result. The Bible said Abraham left the land of Chaldea not knowing where he went. Some people are still sitting at the house not getting out to follow because they want to know where they're going first. That's not how faith works. Trust. Block logic is built on trust. I may not see how it works out, I may not understand what's going on on the round the corner, but I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. And I've heard multiple testimonies of people turning loose of something in their hand and then not feeling like they could do it, not feeling like they were able. Sometimes it was money, sometimes it was a possession, sometimes it was something else. Not feeling like they could do it, and then God taking that thing. It, and I know everybody's been turned off to this, but it is a biblical principle. There is seed time and harvest time. And so if you sow a little, you reap a little. You see, guys, some guys need a hoe and a rake. And sometimes they're little, little bitty ones because they got three maters, is all they got. 
That's me and my wife this year. We love to raise gardens, but we just didn't have time, so we got little bitty hoe and a little bitty rake. And then some guys sow so much, they need a combine to keep up. That can happen to you and I spiritually. I've told you there have been people, and there are people like that in this church that are constantly looking for places to sow. You know why their fields are getting bigger and bigger? Because they keep sowing and sowing and sowing. So I know we've all been turned off to these guys on TV, a lot of them that are using Air Ross just to get money for themselves. I understand that. But it doesn't change. We cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? It does not change. That is a biblical principle. We reap what we sow. And a lot of times we use that in a negative context, and it is true, it can be a negative thing, but it can also be a positive thing. You, you, the Bible says He causes the rain on the just and unjust. That's a, that's a good thing. God don't withhold the rain, right? He's, he's fair, He's kind, even to those who are, not, who are evil. But you, you, you and I reap what we sow. That's why we need to give away mercy. We need to give away grace. We need to give away forgiveness. We need to give away long-suffering. We need to give away money and things because you're never going to outgive the Lord, right? And we reap what we sow. And here's what I want you to not miss. You may get so busy with yours and your stuff, you miss that moment when that guy's on the side of the road on the way to Jericho. And you may be headed home with the oil and the wine so your wife can cook a, a marsala chicken. And your temptation is to say, I've got ten children and a wife waiting on this oil and wine. I should take it on home and just tell this guy I hope he gets okay. There's your moment, right? There's your moment to step out of your linear thinking and say, I'm going to help this guy. We don't know what all was going on through that guy's mind. I'll tell you what was going on in that widow's mind. When the prophet come by, she said, Hey, I just got enough food to feed me and my son, and we're dying out. And the prophet challenges her. Block logic, right? She's thinking linear. This is it for us. I'm going to eat this meal. Then we're going to die. He comes in with some block logic. He's, what's he offering her? Faith. Right? He's given her the greatest opportunity she's ever had in her lifetime. An opportunity to have faith. You and I got to get out of this Western thinking and this Americanization that the best opportunity in your lifetime is to get that next thing. That's not it. The greatest opportunity in our lifetime is when God gives us an opportunity to step in faith and believe Him and trust Him. I want to be a person God can trust. He can be trusted. I want to be somebody He can trust. That He don't have to fill me in with all the details. He just says, get to the corner, and I get to the corner. So she got the chance of a lifetime, this widow woman. It's totally out of her way of thinking. He says, go make me something first. There's a lot of principles at work there. Number one, she's being a linear thinker. He's being a block thinker. Number two, she's got the opportunity to have faith, right? And step out into that. Number three, she's got an opportunity to sow into this prophet's life. Are you hearing me? All of these principles are at work there. And so finally she does it. And you know the end of the story. 
because she got out of her self, soulish we would call it, soulish thinking, and just lived in the moment. She lived in the moment. She, she, had, she was going to live for a few more days probably, but that was it because she was thinking of the logic procession or progression of her thinking, right? She was going through that. Here's this, this, and she'd probably been doing that for days. How miserable is that? How tormenting is that? Read something on the internet and then be miserable for the next six months? I choose faith. And I choose faith against what I see with my eyes. That's who we're called to be. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Things hoped for. Trust is built on the past track record of God that gives, enables me to have pisteo or faith for what I don't know is around the corner. That's who I'm supposed to be. That's who you're supposed to be. We're not called to worry. We're called to have faith. We're not called to doubt. We're called to believe. We're not called to mistrust. We're called to trust. And if that makes me look crazy, then so be it. Because I know in whom I believe. I know He sent His Son to die in my place. I know He's got a perfect track record. I've seen what He's done in my life, and I believe in Him. He said, don't worry. Then He says, therefore I say you do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor what your body, what you put on. Life is more than food, and body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, have neither the storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. That is a mouth, that's a mouthful right there. That's powerful. I heard about this testimony of a, a, wealthy, a wealthy, wealthy lady who when she got saved, she cleaned her closet out and had two dresses, and they were both the same. I don't know how long she did that for, but in her honesty, she said, that's my hang-up. My whole life was in how I looked, she said. And she said, I want to look like, like the guy who I said took his wallet in the baptism. And he said, no, that's going under too. He didn't want that to be the, the God of his life any longer. She didn't want that. That may sound extreme to you, but what, that was her thing. And she wanted to be delivered from that. She didn't want to live under that guise any longer. And look at this, how good God is. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse or barn, and God feeds them. How much more value are you than birds? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a statue? Stature? I mean, we, we're not going to make things happen by worrying. And my wife can tell you this, for the, this has been part of this journey for the last 10 years. If you, if you start worrying, I'm just going to throw my hand up. I'm saying, nah, I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you, but I'm not going to worry with you. Worrying, worrying don't accomplish anything. The Bible, actually, the Bible says fretting only causes harm. It only causes harm. Why would we want to do something that the only outcome is harm? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? I mean, that's it, right? What are, you, what are we anxious for? Well, I've got to be ready for... Ready for what? You don't own tomorrow. I may be sitting with your family this week planning your funeral. 
Don't be anxious for those things. Get out of this linear thinking that the natural progression is this. I mean, God has a specific design and plan for each one of our lives, and it's very exciting. How do you think Noah felt when he looked up and saw those animals coming? He's like, man, this is awesome. Ah, man, I've done the right thing. Right? How do you think Abraham felt when he saw the ram caught in the thick of the widow woman when she went back to the barrel of meal? I mean, see, we're missing out because we're trying to be too logical sometimes with God. This is the normal course of things. That's what they said before 1929. This is how it works. But all these systems are doomed to fail because they're not God's system. But you know what? It don't matter if those systems fail because God said, Hey, Elijah, i got some ravens that are going to take care of you by the brook. And when I need you to move, the brook's going to get dry. I'm going to send you to a widow woman. And I'm going to sustain you. That's who we're called to be. I love being in the presence of God. I pursue it every day. I love being here with you all this morning and on Wednesdays and on different studies. But I'm telling you something, folks. It's time for us to live our Christianity out there. We're going to be faced with challenges, and the world needs to see some people that are standing for Jesus no matter what and that are content, that are not rocking and reeling with everything the world's going through. They look at you and they see stability. I believe the greatest uh, testimony we're going to have in these last days is the fact that we're at peace when the world's going crazy. That's going to be one of our greatest testimonies because the world's, they're all into the supernatural now. That don't impress them. Just like Egypt. They did everything, finally Moses the serpent swallowed theirs, but they're, they're into all that stuff. They need to see people that are genuine, that are sold out to the Word of God, and are standing with Jesus no matter what. That's what the world needs to see in us. <clears throat> and then let's go to Philippians chapter 4. I want to talk to you about being content. Verse 4. Philippians 4 and 4. We've got to find a way to be content. And that's what he says here. He says in Philippians 4 verse 4. Let's see, I'm in the wrong. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Now you can't do that. You and I can't do that if we're going to be complaining. Now, he said it again in Thessalonians too. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. When should we rejoice? Always. always. So you can't substitute complaining and fretting and all that. If you're doing that, you're not going to be rejoicing. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord's around watching. And again, he ties into this same theme we saw there in Luke. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With what? So you don't even get in the gate without having thanks, right? The progression 
of walking through that tabernacle till we get back to that veil. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I understand we all need people to join us in prayer. But man, spend some time telling God about it. Just get with God and tell Him what's going on. Not that He don't know, but just be real with Him. Beseech Him. Seek Him out. He's just as much God in your life as He is the person sitting next to you. So let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, he says, whatever things are, uh, are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue or power, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That would hinder your life and your time with God if you don't do that. Remember, I preached for months on the difference between the soul, the spirit, and the body. And that soulish man, where we do our thinking and make our decisions, he needs to be kept in the right spot. The soulish man needs to be kept clean like the body and the spirit. If you're thinking on these things, and we've got so much traffic now coming at us with so many negative things, it's important for us to get in God's Word, remind ourselves of who He is, what His plan is to keep our mind on the good things. You know what? We're still going to win. Jesus is going to come back. Sin's going to be done. All that's still going to happen. I don't care how bad the world gets. I don't care how crazy they get. This world belongs to the Lord. And He's going to send His Son back again. And we're going to come back with Him. And He's going to set this place right. What we should do is what Peter said. We shouldn't get like the world and say, oh, they've been saying that for years and I, I don't believe that any longer and look at this and forget all that stuff. No, we should remember that the, Peter said the reason people are getting to that point is because he's being long-suffering. Why? Because it's not his will that any would perish. Think of the person that you know right now that's lost, that you love more than anybody else you know that's lost. You, you, one person that you think, man... I love, I love, I have such, I want them saved. I want them to know Jesus. The Lord loves them more. He's in love with them more than you are. He's more concerned about their salvation than you are. And He's awesome. And He can do things far above what we can think or ask. So if we keep our mind on these things, you've got to guard against the negative. So that may mean that you have to guard against what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. This hap happened to me years ago. Somebody came to me and said, Would you like to know what that person thinks about you? And I held my hand up and I said, No. Because I love them and I can pray for them now. If you tell me that, it'll interfere with my ability to pray for them and love them. So now we get into a spot here. He says... Think on these things, so you have to guard. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. 
And then he goes into things that cause him to be content. My contentment and your contentment is not based on my circumstances. I have a position or source of contentment that has nothing to do with my circumstances. Everybody got that? I have a source of contentment that has nothing to do with my circumstances. And that's why Paul and Silas were able to sing praises in the dungeon in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to close in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says, on the, up here, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why we're supposed to be content, so that we may boldly, go ahead, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Our contentment comes from the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything's not going to go our way all the time. And sometimes we're going to have trouble. He pulled that out of Deuteronomy 31 and 6. Let me show you what the Lord said in Deuteronomy here on the screen. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's where our contentment comes from. God will be at the corner when you get there. Let's stand to our feet. God will be at the corner when you get there. And He's got everything under control. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Father, we thank You for this moment we have in this service. To be reminded, Lord, that as things get increasingly wax worse and worse as we've seen in our world that you're still in control. And sometimes we try to go through the logical progression of things and you don't, you don't stay in that, Lord. You move out of that. So I just pray, God, that as we wait before you today, as we humble ourselves in you in this moment, that you would teach us contentment. That you would teach us the real meaning of trust and peace. Peace that passes all understanding or, as the Greek says, rises above all of our circumstances. We can all be content because we all know you and we have you as our husband. We may all be used differently. We may all possess different things. Our paths may be structured differently by you. But Lord, we just pray right now that as we come into your presence, you would teach us how to trust you more, how to think and receive things the way you designed us to receive them, how to live in contentment, and how to walk by faith and not by sight. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, this altar's open for you. If you're here this morning 
and you need anything from the Lord, come seek His face.